Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And to continue on with the divisional draft grades, each time we've done these so far, we've had a special guest on to join me in handing out some of these grades by division. And today we have Tyler Rucker, Mr. Backcourt Violation himself, to help me run through the central division. I, I had to give him a division with some top picks here so we could get some some really good and meaningful thoughts. And since Tyler's one of my favorite guys doing some of this evaluation stuff, I had to give him a good division. Also, um, Corey and Albert over at the Draft Act, they'll be doing the Pacific Division with me. We'll be recording that tomorrow. We're recording this one on Sunday the 29th. So I'm excited for both of these next two podcasts we'll be doing. Tyler, how are you doing, my good man? Are you ready to hand out some some grades today? Yes, I am. Thank you guys for having me back on. Um, you know, the NBA offseason is always a scary, uh, a scary time when you're trying to <laughs> wait for live basketball to get back in our lives. But I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to talk about the last draft class and all of the prospects. Absolutely. It's, it, it gives us a little bit of time to rest, to take a deep breath before I really get in focusing on 2022. I know that that you, Corey, and Albert have already started your last podcast with, with them. You guys started going through some 2022 guys. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there. I'm still I, wrapping I don't blame up. You. I mean, it's, <laughs> I can't believe they got me to bite that early. I was like, whoa, already 2022? Like, I thought we were going to take a little vacation. But um, no, I hear you. It's, you might be smart not going yet. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not quite yet. I still have a, a few other fun things playing in September on some previous draft classes and then I will I will really start pumping out content uh, on, on 2022 in October but but we still got some time to get there but let, let's do this central division let's start with um, the team the Detroit Pistons that had the number one overall pick in the draft they ended up selecting to no one's surprise Cade Cunningham they also had some interesting selections in the second round they ended up taking Isaiah Livers out of Michigan with a pick. They they had Luca Garza as well out of Iowa with the late 50s pick. And then they ended up trading and they got the rights to to Bolsa Koprovica as well. I don't know how much, if at all, um Koprovica will be playing for the Pistons. But I think Luca Garza, especially during the summer league, and we'll talk about some of the summer league performances. That is a that is a bonus to not doing all of these draft grades pods immediately. Once the draft has concluded, we actually get to throw in some summer league evaluations as well with some of these guys. And Luca Garza signing that two-way contract. I think he will have earned himself a little bit of Pistons playing time next year. I'm happy for him. And then I thought the liver selection was interesting as well. But we'll start with Mr. Cunningham. In many eyes, the, the crown jewel of this draft class. What would you give the Pistons as a grade overall? Tyler, and then what are some of your thoughts on how Cunningham's going to fit with the Pistons? And feel free to start throwing in some uh, some thoughts on his summer league performances as well. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hinted at it. I, I would have given them an A, and it's hard not to be winners when you land someone like Cade Cunningham. But, you know, Cade, from what I saw at summer league, you know, he was pretty much as ex what we all expected. Um, you saw the offensive upside. You saw the excitement he has to be kind of a floor general that can get after it on both sides of the ball. Um, I like what I saw from him defensively. I think Detroit's going to need to figure out that backcourt. And, you know, I I kind of would like to see Cade be a little bit more ball dominant. I think they try to kind of lean with Killian Hayes maybe, but we'll see how that develops moving forward. But, you know, I, I love what the Pistons did after Cade. Um, I thought the Livers selection was fantastic. If they just kind of be patient and say, hey, we're looking for kind of a glue guy that down the road when he gets eventually healthy, he'll be a nice asset with that rotation with, you know, guys like Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart, like, you know, Detroit's building something. And then I loved getting Luca Garza where they got him. Um, I, I thought Luca looked fantastic at summer league. He looks like a guy that potentially landed in a great situation with the Pistons that, you know, they rewarded him with a little two way, and it wouldn't surprise me if he just becomes solid depth, you know, like mm -hmm. I just, he looked exactly what I thought was the best case at summer league. He just looked like way more mobile. He was in shape. He was a workhorse on both sides. So there's definitely potential for Luca to end up kind of 
carving out a role long term, maybe as a backup big. But um, Detroit just had a great draft. I thought they hit everything. And then their last selection, like even adding another big man, I just think they're just doing things the right way, like the long term approach, but adding the right type of mentality and players. So what's really interesting about what the Pistons did is obviously in taking Cade Cunningham, number one, but also getting somebody like Isaiah Livers, who we we seem to have forgotten about him, or at least the general public forgot about him a little bit at the start of the year when he was playing for Michigan before he got injured. A lot of people were putting him in the conversation with Corey Kispert, and it wasn't Joe Wieskamp in terms of, yeah, Corey Kispert's a really valuable shooter to have on your team, but if you can get someone with close to his shooting value in the second round, maybe like early to mid second round, why wouldn't you try and take a home run swing on another guy with maybe one of those late lottery mid first round picks and then Mm -hmm. swing back around, take somebody like an Isaiah livers. Um, He was the guy in that conversation, not Joe Wieskamp. And when you put, the Cunningham and the Livers picks together with some of what Detroit's already building. I mean, we saw with the Atlanta Hawks, what are, what, what's one of the reasons why the Hawks were able to get as far this year as they did was they have so many plus size shooters at different positions. And now you see with Cade possibly being like a shooting guard next to Killian Hayes, you have Sadiq Bay in there and another one of the wing spots. You have somebody like an Isaiah Livers, obviously Jeremy Grant's an, an athletic four who can also be a stretch big for you at times. Like they have these six, seven through six, nine guys, a collection of them that can offer floor spacing and versatility, shooting the basketball on the offensive end. What do you think about the type of nucleus that they're trying to build around some of their big men that, that, that they drafted and brought in last year. And then around somebody like Killian Hayes or even a Saban Lee, when we're talking about point guards or, or backup point guards. Yeah, they just seem like they're building a mentality. You know, they're getting some tough guys, you know, Isaiah Stewart, you know, even Luca Garza. They're just getting those workhorse guys that are going to try to bring it every night. You know, they might be not as talented as the team across from them, but they're going to give it to you for 48 minutes. So I like what they're doing. I like the Cade pick and putting him alongside guys like Sadiq Bey and Jeremy Grant. I, and then I think that's even what makes the Isaiah Livers pick even more exciting is just you're getting these strategic pieces that should mm-hmm. complement each other. And, you know, the, like every good team needs an Isaiah Livers, that guy that's he might not score 20 a game, but he's going to make your team better with smart decision making and his basketball IQ. And I just love, I thought Livers could have been a first round pick if he didn't get hurt. I I just thought that much of his game and kind of just as, you know, he's, he's one of the best shooters probably in this class and he didn't even have a pre-draft process or a tournament run. So um, I just really like Detroit's just taking like strategic picks. Like I always kind of cross sport reference this but i always say with the draft you don't need to swing for the fence all the time sometimes if you hit a single or a double you take the next step forward as a basketball franchise and i feel like livers is like one of those right now a lot of people might be like well that wasn't that sexy of a pick but we might look at the end of the year and be like "Ooh, they got livers at 42 that turned out to be a great selection so um, I just think Detroit's doing a fantastic job. They're they're slowly understanding this is going to be a long process, but they're pushing the needle forward each with each move, with each signing. And um, no, you got to be excited if you're a Pistons fan. I agree wholeheartedly. And and that point you made about sometimes it's okay if you hit a single or a double. I think maximizing what you have with your draft picks as far as taking guys who you know will succeed in the NBA and will be able to contribute to your team's success in some form or fashion. That's the playbook that teams that have been successful in the draft recently, like the Boston Celtics or the Memphis Grizzlies, like you really don't see those guys missing too much of late on draft picks, particularly the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously with Boston, there's been somebody like a Romeo Langford who's had like health concerns, for example, and he hasn't been able to live up to those expectations. But like, it seems like teams like that, Teams that just want to nail the draft pick regardless of, hey, maybe I could have taken this guy at this spot, but it would have also been more of a swing. Well, I'm going to take this guy who I know is going to at least succeed in some form or fashion. And they're just building, especially Memphis, they're just building this really deep roster. And Atlanta is another team you can throw into that mix as well. And they certainly nailed both of their draft picks that they had this past year. So, yeah, Detroit 
they're just nailing it. Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, now Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Livers, Luka Garza. Like they're just nailing these draft picks, and not all of them are going to be stars. Maybe Cade's potentially the only star out of all of them, but they're also filling out the rest of their roster with like legitimate role players that we know are going to contribute to that team over the next few years. Um, as far as Cade Cunningham is concerned, I was on Chad Ford's podcast this past week, and we were running through, in case anybody missed that podcast, we ran through our top who we see as being performers next year out of freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. And I had, he had Kate Cunningham number eight in that mm-hmm. list. I had Kate Cunningham number 10 in terms of impact I think he's going to have next year. I do have some concerns based on what I saw from Summer League. We, we talk about how Cade has never been this awesome athlete in terms of blow by speed, right? Like he hasn't always been able to get a first step on just anybody. And, and that was a concern. However, when you look at some of the stars in the NBA who don't have that blow by speed, they generally have the strength to make up for it. Like a Luka Doncic, for example, isn't going to beat um, a ton of players in a foot race in the NBA, but he's so strong that if he gets somebody on his hip, right, if he even gets like a quarter of a step on somebody, he can hold somebody on his hip and then he can kind of navigate to where he needs to go. You don't see that from Cade. I, I, I was, I was amazed when, when I was there in person in summer league to see how skinny Cade actually was. And I think mm-hmm. that lack of strength is really going to bite him his first few years in the league. I think what saves him is his shooting ability. The shooting is legitimate. That was the question heading into his Oklahoma state year last year. He shot, 40% from three was like in the 92nd percentile or something like that on catch and shoot looks. And he was knocking down threes with very much regularity in the summer league as well. So that's going to translate. I think he's going to be a great shooter in the NBA, but everything else that we can look at on the ball, I think at least in the short term, he's really going to struggle. And that's why I put, I wouldn't put him in the top five of that list heading into next year, despite him being in a tier one for me with some of these other guys in this draft. So what what do you think about Cade's performance in the short term, Tyler? Did you have any concerns from his summer league per performance or you still saw the positives and you're still willing to roll that? You think he might potentially be a rookie of the year guy next year? I think you bring up a great point. Um, you know, we, we draft fanatics, evaluators. We You can always think you understand a guy's frame and everything, but seeing him in person is a whole different story. And I had the same thing when I saw Cade, um, I was like, okay, he's a little skinny, you know, like he's, he's big, but he's a little skinny. And um, when you, when you don't have that, he didn't, he had some possessions where he struggled to get around guys, but I think that's just, he's going to have to learn like, okay, if I'm not going to be quicker than these guys, I got to beat them with, you know, counters. But if he could add some, strength to his frame and kind of learn to use his body a little more. That's going to help him a ton. But um, I saw some positives. I was more intrigued watching him defensively and he had some possessions where I was like, okay, he, he could yep. be a demon if he wants. And I was like the, the abilities there. And then, you know, I, I, I was a little surprised. Like you, you watched him in college and you could see that he could space the floor from NBA range if he wanted, but he had some, some possessions in summer league where it was just like a quick, like catch and shoot contested. And it was no problem for him. And I was like, okay, if that's going to be something consistently that you're hitting, like you might be even more dangerous. So I think he's fine. Um, It wasn't either way. I wasn't like, okay, I'm, concerned in a big way about this i just was kind of like it looks like a guy that hasn't played for a while that still trying to figure everything out um it, but there was definitely flashes like i'm i would be pumped if i was a business fan i think Cade's gonna yep. have a great year he could be a guy that maybe towards the second half of the year starts to the game starts to slow down and he definitely takes some notable leaps forward because I just think it, point guard is one of the most difficult positions to translate to as a rookie because the game just becomes so much faster. But, um, you know, Cade's one of his good things is he tries to get guys to play at his speed, which is rare. And um, But I'm like you. I, I, I was a little surprised 
Cade was one of them when I saw him and I said, okay, he's a little skinny. I was just like, <laughs> he, he's a big boy, but he, he's going to need to learn how to use that strength and probably live in the weight room. But, you know, guy's a hard worker. I, I won't be surprised if he figures it out. He, he, he is a vegan. And when I, when yeah. I heard that he is a, he has a very um, plant-based diet, that was one thing I heard that. And I was like, well, now that I see him up close, okay, that that kind of makes sense in terms of his I agree, body 100%. composition, and not 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 to downplay vegans by any means. There are plenty of athletes who have done it, but they found great ways to get some plant based protein in their diets and still be able to add the necessary strength and bulk onto their bodies. That, but yeah, that that was one thing I heard that, and I was like, all right, that that starts that starts making some more sense. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you mentioned the defensive end. I, I was always intrigued by Cades defensive versatility even when he was coming into college i was like if this guy's willing to buy in he can potentially guard one through three down the road and i'd see that more of as a truth now when you looked at what he did in the summer league he was willing to defend and that's something young guys aren't always willing to defend like when i had to go back and, and watch some tape on guys leading up to the podcast that, that i did with chad you see some guys like a kevin porter jr for example who almost never get in any sort of defensive stance and they just don't want to guard anybody. I don't know if it's that he, he's not willing to guard anybody or he just doesn't know how to play better defense. But like that, that's that's a common occurrence you see from younger players. But that was not Cade. Cade was very vocal when, when he made a mistake on the court in, in Vegas in the few games he played. He communicated with his teammates. He was the first one to call himself out on mistakes. He was the guy always trying to bring his the rest of his guys into a huddle and figure out what they needed to do to have better possessions going from there after a mistake. So like his leadership, his willingness to do the little things, particularly on the defensive end. I agree with you, Tyler. I was very impressed to see all of that. And I think I I expected to see most of that, just given his persona in college, he kind of embraced the, the, the same hardships that, that come from being that leader in, in a lineup, the, the guy that mainly is going to have the target on his back. He embraced that at Oklahoma State, and he lived up to and, and in some areas exceeded my expectations in that right. So, yeah, I'm don't get me wrong. I, I am encouraged by the majority of what I saw from Summer League, and it is just Summer League, so I can't put those negatives out in, in front of every positive thing that I saw from him as well. I think he's going to have a good rookie year. I would just temper expectations a little bit, but also not be too concerned if he does struggle in some areas in his rookie year, because I think by like year three or four, we could be seeing one of the more complete players in this draft class, kind of like how we thought it would be when we were going into the draft. And speaking of guys who I don't know how much they're going to succeed in the rookie year. The Cleveland Cavaliers had the number three pick in this, in this division. They took Evan Mobley, the big man out of USC. Um, now the Pistons, before we move on to Cleveland, I didn't actually say my grade. Yeah. I give the Pistons an A as well. I thought they had a pretty complete draft when compared to some other teams, the Cavs, I'm also going to give them an A because I thought that at number three, they, they took the best player available and Evan Mobley, I had him as a tier two guy in the same tier with, with Jalen Suggs. I think that I wouldn't put him in like an MVP caliber tier, but I would put him in the tier of like still like a max contract guy, someone who can potentially be an all-star or even an all-NBA player down the road. But it's going to take some time. At big men, it, it always takes them time to develop more so than some of the other guys playing like two through four, for example, on the court, like point guard and center just have the most responsibilities tied to their positions. And when you have to first adjust to the NBA game itself, the physicality, the speed, and then all the nuances and and the languages that come with both of those positions, it, it takes anybody a lot of time to adjust to that level of role. And we saw Evan Mobley in summer league while he did have some flashes tied to his perimeter game that we knew were going to be special coming in, like his passing, his ball handling. He did struggle with the physicality of the game, even at the summer league level. Um, and, And I think that's going to be commonplace this year. And I think it's funny when you look at Cleveland, you, you look at the Lowry marketing trade that just happened a few days ago on its face and you get a little puzzled when you look at what that trade might mean, but then you think about it from Cleveland's perspective, listen, if they don't think that Mobley can be like a full-time four or five in his rookie year in terms of, I don't know if we're going to be able to play this guy 32, 34 minutes a night, 
maybe we need to bring him off the bench and sort of ease him along, given some of the physical concerns we might have. Then a move for Markkanen makes a little more sense. They can stagger Mobley and Markkanen minutes so that somebody of, of pretty decent caliber is always next to Jared Allen. And they can bring Evan Mobley along versus forcing too much responsibility his way too far early on. So I'm giving them an A because of the type of talent that they've got. But what what is your grade for for the Cavs, Tyler? And what do you expect of Evan Mobley in his rookie season? Yeah, I'm giving him an A too, just because you said it exactly. I think there's the best player available on the board and you got him at three. Um, I thought, you know, Mobley could have been a top two pick at, at some point. So I do agree with you. I think I wouldn't have too lofty of expectations for Mobley in his rookie year just because that front court's going to be a little bit crowded. But Mobley, I never thought was going to be a guy that potentially could be in the rookie of the year running. I thought you're looking at him as, you know, kind of what we said with Cade, like maybe years three, all of a sudden it's just the light switch comes on and he's a dominant guy on both sides of the ball summer league confirmed exactly what i thought there was flashes we were like oh man if if it all comes together this guy's gonna be fun but there was also some down and it's just exactly what you said bigs take time in the league like not all of them hit the ground running some take three years some take five years before the game slows down and everything starts to come together but i like mobley's just he's got the potential to be a really fun player on both sides of the ball, especially if his outside shooting comes around on a consistent level. So um, like you said, the, the Lori trade was a little bit confusing and I think we're all still trying to figure out what their plan is, but it would make some sense if maybe they're like, Hey, we're going to bring our new shiny toy along slowly. You know, we got Jared Allen. We just gave a big extension. Let's, let's make this not, you know, a rushed process for the big guy, you know? So I'd like Mobley. I think it is a great pick for the Cavs. I think if he can kind of adjust to the physicality down the road, then all of a sudden you're going to have something special because he can get overpowered, but he also has like a little nastiness inside at times where he's not afraid to go at people. So I'm like, okay, if you, if you could get some, some upper body strength and put some weight on, you might be a problem just with your quickness and footwork. So um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think Cleveland just, it was fantastic value. You got a, a heck of a potential in Evan Mobley and Cavs fans should be excited for the future. I said this in my initial reactions podcast right after the draft that I kind of thought all along that Evan Mobley's best fit for his long-term success was actually in Cleveland because of the roster composition they already have, where Mm -hmm. I never saw Evan Mobley as like a first or second option offensively, but somebody who could kind of fit in and make everyone else around him better while bringing everything he does to the table defensively. And sure, he's going to be a special switchable big man in his own right, but he's not someone I think you want banging down low against the other fives in the league every single Mm -hmm. possession, which you have Jared Allen do that. And then offensively, because he's not this awesome first or second option, you have two other guards in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton who are going to take a lot of pressure off of Mobley offensively. And even as long as Isaac Okoro keeps coming along as well, I mean, in, in the little bit of time he played, out in Vegas in his second year, they clearly want to see a jump from him. They were putting the ball in his hands a ton. Uh, they, they gave him the second year guy treatment in terms of we're, we're going to give you the ball on more possessions than not. We want you to create for yourself or create for others. We want you to take on that higher volume. Let's hit you with everything that we've got and see what you can handle. And I think Okoro actually did a good job of that. He had some moments last year for the Cavaliers already in his rookie year. So you look at three perimeter-oriented guys who could take offensive pressure off of him, and then you have a guy who I think is like the perfect partner next to him defensively. Like I think Mobley's long-term future is at the four and not the five, and I think in that regard, he fits right into this lineup long-term. So do, do you think that this was Mobley's best fit? Yeah, I, I, I do. I agree with you. I thought when you looked at the bigger picture, like, yeah, he could have gone to Houston, but I think... Houston might have tried to make him, you know, if they took him second overall, they might have tried to make him something that he's not right now. 
they might have tried to force feed him on offense and it's like that he's just not that guy i think right now if he could play alongside jared allen and all of a sudden you have two bigs that are defensive-minded guys who can make an impact like right away because i think mobley will be able to make an impact defensively early on in his career yeah um, I, I just think that's the best you know fit for him right now now maybe he grows and develops and all of a sudden they're playing him as a small ball five but um i do like the idea of him playing the four kind of have some big versatility maybe flashes to the old school days where we actually had two bigs on the floor <laughs> at the same time but um no i i like the fit i think for the Cavs and mobley it was just the perfect fit and um he's gonna be a fun one to watch develop and it's also the fact that, like I kind of mentioned, having two of these guards who can attack and, and always make something happen as well offensively, particularly with Darius Garland. We, we saw Garland take a jump last year from a passing perspective. And a reason why some of these bigs succeed or don't succeed is do they actually have a heady point guard who can get them the ball in the right spots for them to um, further along offensively? And you have somebody like Garland who can make plays for others, make plays for a big man like Mobley, Mobley's going to need another guy next to him who can get him the ball in his spots. And I think when you have that, that's great for your further development. We saw DeAndre Ayton with the Suns take a massive leap this year. Not that Devin Booker wasn't that guy occasionally for, for Ayton in his first few years in the league, but playing with somebody like a Chris Paul, a pick-and-roll maestro. Talk about the difference that it made for DeAndre Ayton and his activity level and his ability to impact the game offensively. So I think when you have two guards who could potentially do that, and then Isaac Okoro, when he furthers coming along as well over the next few years, yeah, that's going to make Mobley's impact felt a lot more offensively than I think it could have in, in other situations, depending on where he might've been drafted. I thought that all three top three guys, when you talk about Cade, Jalen and Evan, I thought that all three of them landed in, in the best spot for them long-term. And that's, that's a real reason why I'm so excited for the top of this draft class. Cause where you land matters. And I think that, not that doesn't always happen in, in the NBA draft. The the guy where where you think he should go for his long term development he doesn't always end up going there. So mm -hmm. um, that's that's another reason why I was so excited for this. But yeah, Cavs and Pistons both get A grades from us. Another team who could possibly get an A grade. I'll be curious to see what what grade you give Indiana, um, mm -hmm. Tyler. But the Indiana Pacers ended up taking Chris Duarte with the 13th pick, so a late lottery selection. And then Due to some trades that happened on draft night, they ended up getting I, I, Isaiah Jackson, um, a pick that was originally the Lakers pick. Then it was dealt over to the Wizards in that Russell Westbrook deal. And then it became like, like a massive multi-team deal. And that pick ended up going the way of the Indiana Pacers. Um, I thought the draft, were, the, the, this pairing of picks was really interesting on draft night. And then you see both of these guys get minutes and playing time in the summer league. And, and I think we knew that Chris Duarte was going to be an NBA player in some form or fashion, how good of an NBA player he becomes given the age that he already is. That remains to be seen. Um, but listen, the Pacers put the ball in his hands as much as they possibly could out in Las Vegas. And, and every game he played and he looked like the best player on the floor. And mm -hmm. I understand that given he's 24 years old, his experience, he probably should look like the best player on the floor in those settings. But again, not every older player comes into Vegas and, and always shines like that. So it was very encouraging to see Duarte succeed in multiple fronts, be it isolation scoring, be it um, scoring off the move, making plays for others off the bounce. Like from a scoring and a facilitation standpoint, he was doing everything for that team and having a positive impact no matter what he was doing. And then defensively, he was competitive as all hell. We knew that Duarte was, was tough as nails. It was just a matter of him actually studying how to play better defense and kind of matching his intensity level with the actual understanding of how to play his position defensively. Like he was only in the 10th percentile defensively last year in college at Oregon. But I think just given the proper coaching and having somebody like Rick Carlisle who's going to be able to properly coach him NBA level defense. And you match that with his intensity, his will, his want to shut other players down. I think that he's going to be a really interesting two-way wing option for them in the future. And then Isaiah Jackson, he, he was a defensive menace out, mm -hmm. out in Las Vegas. He was somebody who 
I listen, I could have made an argument for him to be drafted in the lottery based mm-hmm. on his long-term upside. And I, I, I hear the doubters for his offensive impact early on. He's going to pretty much be a transition and like a lob threat uh, on the offensive end early in his career. But we saw some of the, some of the jump shots he was able to take at Kentucky. The mechanics look good, look smooth. You heard some of the buzz and pre-draft workouts that he was able to shoot the ball. I think there is some stuff that we can expect to see from him offensively down the road. But what we, what we know that he knows how to do right now, which is protect the rim and offer versatility as a switchable defender. He was doing that in spades and his athleticism, his speed and his size. It, it, it was breathtaking to see at, at times when he was playing out in Las Vegas to see him up close and personal. So I'm also going to give the Pacers not not exactly an, an A. I'll, I'll give them an A minus. I don't want to hand out too many A's in this process, but it's hard it's hard to, to look at them and give that dra- give that draft class a B. So I'll give them an A minus. What's your grade, Tyler? What do you think about both those guys? You know, I'm giving them an A minus too. I'm, I promise I'm not copying your homework, but um, <laughs> they were one of my favorite, you could say underrated drafts. You know, it was one of those when they took Duarte, I think everyone was, we were all expecting Duarte was just going to end up going to the Warriors at 14. And they kind of shocked us when they took him right in front of them. But I loved the the selection of Duarte. I think it's just when you get to that range of the draft, you want like, what we said about earlier like try to help your team move forward and that's when you get to the range it's like if some teams try to swing for the fences too big you run into some problems so like why not just take a guy that might be you know exactly what type of player he's going to be and i think a lot of us chase the you know he's old you know like storyline if you want to put it that way too much when it's like yes i understand that but at the end of the day is he going to help this franchise move forward and I think Duarte was just one of those guys, you know, exactly what he was going to be. He's a smart basketball player that can just light it up all over the place, make smart decisions. And you saw pretty early on in Vegas, you're like, okay, he's exactly what we were all expecting. And he's going to be a heck of a player for the Pacers early on. And, you know, I thought their draft was a home run and then they end up making that trade, which I can't stand the NBA of how they announced trades 10 minutes later on draft night. But all of a sudden they get Isaiah Jackson at 22, who I'm like you, I thought he was potentially a lottery guy. And I think I might've even had him like top 15, top 16. I just love Isaiah Jackson. I think he's got all the tools to be a guy two or three years down the road. That's like, okay, he's developing into something really nice. And now you're going to a team where he's not going to be the starter. He's going to be a bench guy that learns under Miles Turner, and we'll see what they do long-term. But his upside is just terrifying. Um, I mean, he could be something really special with his, you know, ability to play above the rim. He's a lob threat that just explodes and has great verticality. And I love how good of a shot blocker is, and he just hustles all over the place. So, you know, you you go into the draft with one pick at 13. You get a guy that looks like he's going to help them right away. And then you get back up into the draft at 22 and get a project that looks like he could be some really nice depth early on, potentially. I just think Indiana had a fantastic, you know, draft. And Carlisle's going to do wonders for those guys, especially because they're both just guys that are going to work their butt off. Yeah, I agree with that. And you bring up a you bring up a point about Isaiah Jackson that I didn't make. I I, I should have made it, but you you did it for me, so it's all good. But yeah, Jackson's not going to be expected to play major minutes right away. We kind of knew he was a project player coming in, but they have Turner and Sabonis as bigs. They mm-hmm. still have Goga Bataze on the roster, mm-hmm. so there are three guys in front of him where he can spend some time elsewhere. He doesn't have to immediately play in this Indiana Pacers lineup, but. Listen, I, I thought I thought the Indiana Pacers were still a, a really tough out last year, and I think they're only going to be better this year with the fir- with obviously having Rick Carlisle now as the head coach, um, letting Karis LeVert get more playing time and and more experience with this team, bringing in somebody like Duarte, another really solid bench contributor, and someone who 
I, listen, I, I think they have one of the one of the more interesting and versatile offensive lineups in, in the entire league if they want to go to it, where you could have like Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert in, in the backcourt. You could still have Chris Duarte on the wing. You could have TJ Warren at the four. And then, hell, you could have like Miles Turner or Demonis Sabonis at mm-hmm. the five. And that that is a lineup of five legitimate offensive NBA talents. Like They're going to be a little underrated. Little little. I think a lot of people are going to sleep on him, you know, and all of a sudden you're injecting a coach like Rick Carlisle into that bunch. Um, Things are going to be different for that team in a hurry. And maybe they hit the ground running and shock a lot of people, but I'm like you, they have some, that's a nice five. Like those are five guys that can play basketball. And um, obviously that's suggesting Duarte hits the ground running, but from, from what I saw at Oregon and what we saw in brief time at Vegas, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just a nice complimentary piece early on with that core. I'll tell you what, man, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put you on the spot necessarily because we're, we're technically preseason to the next NBA year, but I was thinking about this Tyler. Like you, you look at the Eastern conference, obviously you have, you have Brooklyn at the top. You have my Miami's going to be up there, Atlanta's going to be up there, Milwaukee being the defending champs, they're going to be up there. Like I think those top four teams are pretty solidified. We'll see what happens with Philly. Um, once you get past like those four or five teams, like man, I think Indiana's right there at, at number six. Like like I think a lot of people would probably project Indiana as like a play-in team. I don't know. I, I don't think they're even going to be in the play-in race. I think they're going to be one of the guaranteed top six playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. You mentioned you think they might be a little underrated. What do you What do you think about them in relation to the rest of the East, just given what they have done last year at the trade deadline and now in, in this offseason into the draft? Well, I, I always think I'm a big guy of uh, when a young team all of a sudden has some playoff success, how do you bounce back the next year? Like I'm talking Atlanta and New York, like those teams you could say overachieved last year, even though Atlanta just kind of went all in and free agency and had themselves some great pieces. I still think you, we can look back and say both those teams overachieved. So are you going to have, are you going to take steps forward now that everyone knows what you can do and they're going to be ready for you? Or are you going to maybe go backwards a little bit? And I think teams like Indiana, maybe even Boston, I think, those just could be both scrappy teams that kind of surprised this year because they had a little bit di- disappointing years last year, kind of regrouped, retooled, if you want to put it that way. And um, I just think Indiana, a full offseason, adding some smart pieces, that roster, and then all of a sudden you get one of the best coaches in the NBA coming in with Rick Carlisle. I mean, they could definitely shock some people and um, – I would lean what you're saying is a little bit more towards the uh, absolutely a playoff team compared to the play-in, but um, you never know. And we, there's always injuries and stuff happens, but I mean, you're just going through that starting five and naming some of the pieces they have with like the TJ Warrens and stuff like that. I, I, they could be a very fun um, underrated team with just a lot of smart rotations. Like TJ McConnell, I always think is a really nice guy. Just, knows his role so um i think carlisle's gonna have some fun and it, it would not surprise me if indiana jumps on a lot of people especially if miles turner's healthy a whole year sabonis keeps doing his thing lavert um hits the ground running you know and i've always loved the way brogdon plays so um i'm, I'm like you i looking at him now it's definitely an underrated team that could uh could be a wild card for everyone you mentioned you mentioned Boston. Like I, I had mentioned Philly. We talk about the the Knicks that you also mentioned. Like that that's a pretty crowded group in mm-hmm. the Eastern Conference already. And the team we're gonna move to next, they had they had one draft selection in the second round, but the Chicago Bulls mm-hmm. had arguably the best offseason out of anyone. And I I want to so badly put them in like my guaranteed one through six like predictions for, for Eastern seeds. I just I don't know what the defense is going to look like. I don't know how good the defense is going to be, but I know that this team's going to pour out points in, in absolute bunches. Um, but the draft pick that they made, they ended up getting Io Desunmu at, at 38. Listen, that's a guy who I think can help them defensively 
off the bench. And it's it's really interesting. The the biggest knock as to why somebody like Io fell into the second round when he was originally projected preseason as like a mid first round pick is because they put the ball in his hands at Illinois. He was pretty much the point guard for that team. And there were a lot of mixed results with him being a more of a traditional point guard. But if you let him operate with the ball in his hands with more scoring freedom, like you put him in some secondary actions, you don't put the weight and the pressure of him having to find something for someone else all the time. Then you're talking about a much more confident offensive player, someone who can be more exclusively focused at getting downhill, getting his own baskets. And then defensively, I mean, he's going to go to work guarding either the one or the two in the backcourt. So the, now we have a situation for Io where he can come in, kind of earn minutes for himself in Chicago off the bench and really just be looked to do the things that that coaching staff knows he's going to be able to do well. Um, catch and shoot when that shot's available to him, be a downhill attacker on offense and just look to generate offense mainly for himself and just be kind of a bucket getter off the bench while still bringing everything to the table he can defensively. So while I don't think I see Io as like a star by, by any means, I still think he was a really, really valuable get for a team like Chicago in the second round, a team that definitely needs defensive depth in the backcourt and a team where they, they can also use a little more of a scoring punch off the bench of the backcourt as well. Like um, they, they signed, they signed Caruso to be like a backup point guard in, in the off season, which is fine. He's great defensively as well, but he's not your traditional offensive bucket getter. I think that him and IO could, could balance themselves out pretty well on both ends of the floor. So I think that at some point next year, Io is going to crack that rotation, and I think he has the ability to make an impact. So I'm actually going to give the draft pick um, a B for Chicago. What grade do you give it, um, Tyler? What do, what do you think of, of Io's prospects in Chicago? Um, I'm giving him a B plus. I I love Io. I was I thought this was fantastic for the Bulls to have only one pick in the second round to get him at 38. I thought there was a chance he could end up as a late first round pick. So. Getting him at 38, you, you know, I just, the, he's one of those guys, the more I watched, the more I was just like, I'm willing to bet on this kid. Like, yep. he just got better every year. Um, You know, we wanted to see the outside shot come along. He took strides forward with it. Illinois got to a point where they basically were like, okay, we know you're the guy, like, take us home. And he did pretty much everything he possibly could do. But I think he also landed in a good position. We know how good Chicago's offseason was. They had a lot of horses to the stable, if you want to put it that way. And now I think with Io, you could possibly say, like, okay, you're not going to come in and be a starter. You you just need to work hard, do the little things, carve out a backup role. Maybe him and Caruso could be a nice little defensive, you know, rotation off of the bench. Um, but I just like his game a lot. I, he's big. He, I think he's around like six four, six five. He can he can play with change of speeds, and he's a little underrated defensively. You know, I, I mean, I think just the effort and the p potential for him to maybe thrive as not being the guy that needs to score um, early on in his career. I, I just like the pick. I thought it was great value for thirty eighth overall, and you know, I think he's got a chance to stick. I think he's got a chance to carve out some minutes. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what they're going to do with Kobe White. I don't know if they need to move on or if something's going to happen there. But um, I, I just, I like the pick. I thought it was great. And I, I think he's got a chance to be a really nice rotation piece, especially early on if he clicks. True or false? Io Desunmu can be more of what we thought oh shoot i just lost the name the 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 Pro providence guard chris dunn there oh, you chris go dunn. True, true, true or false i would assume it could be more of what we thought chris dunn was going to be in the nba yeah i think that's true and, and you know dunn came in and was supposed to be an elite defender and he can defend his butt off of you know anybody he can get after it but i just i think there's some more offensive upside with io than a lot of people realize but you know i Maybe I'm wrong, but it's just from me watching him at Illinois, I was just a fan that, you know, he's dangerous in transition. 
Um, he understands how to set defenders up with, you know, hesitations and then he can blow by guys. And I just, I continue to think that his best basketball is ahead of him. And I think that's a, for getting a guy at 38 that you can look and say that, I think that's a big win. He might be one of the biggest steals in the draft when we look back like Mm -hmm. three to four years down the road. And listen, I don't know why Chris Dunn was ever drafted as high as he was. I I would have never taken him that high. I think he would have been much better valued as like a, like a mid first rounder, maybe like in the 15s to like 20 to 25 Mm -hmm. in that draft to begin with, because of his age, he was an older guy coming out, but um, yeah, when you compare his game and IO's game, I think IO can be a lot more dynamic offensively. And I think that it, it, it's really good that they took the Chicago took him having had Chris Dunn actually come through their system, having a guy like that, who you can rely on defensively in the backcourt, but Chris Dunn was never this dynamic playmaker for others either on the ball. And I think it, it's, it can be one of those things for Chicago, like lesson learned, like we already had a guy like IO come through, we kind of learn what it looks like when that guy succeeds and what it looks like when he isn't able to succeed. And I think that they can balance a role much better for IO having had somebody like Chris Dunn in their organization. I think that can pay dividends for Chicago moving forward. And I will be really interested to see exactly what, what you said, Tyler, about Kobe white, where does Kobe white fit in, in all of this? I never thought that Kobe white was really much of a point guard. I always thought he was a better um, two guard and he, he has the size to be an mm-hmm. NBA shooting guard, but now you have DeRozan in there with obviously you, you still want to have Levine in the fold long-term. I thought that they, they probably thought that Kobe White and Zach Levine were going to be able to share the floor together, but with neither one of them being stellar operators out of pick and roll, clearly that that's a big reason why they wanted to bring Lonzo and they hope that he develops um, his pick and roll playmaking in that regard. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that Chicago backcourt. Last but not least, in this round of divisional draft grades, the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks did virtually nothing interesting in the draft, but they didn't necessarily have the picks to do anything interesting, nor do they have to do anything interesting. The, the defending champs, um, 54, Sandro Mamukelashvili, and 60, the last pick in the draft, Georgios Oh man, his last name. I don't even know if I want to butcher it on, on this podcast, but we're, we're, we're going to call him Georgios on this podcast, but I, I, I'll give the Bucks, listen, I'll, I'll give him a D, D plus so, somewhere in there, but they don't have to have a high grade. We, we know what they are, the defending champs. Nothing they could have done in this draft was going to impact the championship they won this year and, and what they're going to look to achieve next year. So do you have... Any other thoughts on, on, on Sandro or Georgios besides the fact that Sandro could be arguably the most interesting pick out of anyone in, in the 50s besides like Luca Garza? I, I weirdly like the Sandro fit maybe with Milwaukee. Now, I think if you have to be very you know confident that he could be a special asset off the bench and maybe we don't see much of him at all his rookie year. Maybe he's someone that two years from now becomes a nice bench asset in the rotation, but I just love his skill set. I'm actually fascinated to see if they just stash him in the G league for his entire rookie year, just because of their roster, or maybe they try to use his skill set and, you know, smart minutes. I I don't know, but I just love him. I think he's unique. Um, Georgios, I thought was a guy that even last year's draft um, was, was getting some steam and, draft circles and by scouts and it was one of those names when when you heard it out loud you're like oh like i haven't heard that name in a while like so i I was a little surprised but um you know it's just one of those things where if you're the bucks you're probably taking some swings and maybe you know he's he's a drafting stash guy you never know what they're thinking but um no, I mean, I, I thought their draft was fine. I liked Sandro at 54. I thought it was some intriguing value. I, and, you know, the Bucks are going to know what the roster was. They didn't have too many holes. So they kind of just were like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stay put and just deal with the uh, – or live with the results. Georgios Kalaitzakis. Yes, I believe, I, I I believe that's how you say that last name. 
it's funny with a lot of these international guys, but before I try and listen to anyone domestically say their last names, I always try and go to the film and hear the international announcers pronounce yes. it because that, that's my best bet for actually trying to get it right. So Colin Zykus, I believe is how you say it, but um, yeah, the, the, there's nothing really else to, to write home about with the Milwaukee draft. I, I agree with you, Tyler. I think they probably are going to stra- uh, stash Mamu Kalashvili in the G League. And that's yeah. probably what I would do as well. Just give him some more developmental reps as this incredibly interesting big man, inverted pick and roll playmaker. He's as one of the most intriguing skill sets in the entire draft class. I just, I don't know if it's going to work out in the NBA, I but if, there, if there's any team that can take advantage of such a unique player at that size, I mean, we, we've seen, not, not calling him Giannis, good God, aggregators, anybody else out there, please. <laughs> but, like, if we've seen what, what's taken place with Giannis in Milwaukee, like, some of the things that Giannis can do as a ball handler at that size, that's some of what you see a little bit in, in, in Sandro's game. So mm-hmm. if there's any team that can figure it out, maybe it's Milwaukee if some of it can work. Uh, I don't know. That's just my two cents. But... That's going to wrap it up for these divisional draft plays. We, we hand, hammered out the central division. Tyler, as always, it was a pleasure having you on, my friend. I cannot wait to collaborate more with you, hopefully in the near future here. Please tell my audience where they can currently find you on social media and all of your work because you do great stuff, man. It's an honor to have guys like you and Corey and Albert on all the time. No, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm just on all social media at Backcourt V, um, YouTube Backcourt Violation, and uh, of course, BackcourtViolation.com. And we'll have our podcast coming out, the basketball podcast soon. So um, as always, I love coming on and thank you guys for having me on this on this show. I can't wait to do some more stuff. Absolutely. And to my audience listening, thank you for tuning in. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, the whole nine yards. Stay tuned. We have three more draft grades pods to wrap up before we get into some interesting look back content is what I'll call it. I want to do a little bit of investigative work going back through some of the other previous draft classes since this platform, Draft Deeper, has only been around for the last year or so. It'll be interesting to go back and give some of my thoughts, what I was thinking about some previous draft classes before we get to October. And then all of the madness starts with 2022. Good God, we'll have, what, like seven, eight months of content related to 2022. Good God. Tyler, man, this this draft stuff, we, we hammer out the most content, I think, out of any other sport talking about the same shit for yeah. like seven or eight months. Uh, it's 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 incredible but god our audiences both of our audiences all the way around it's impressive that they stick around and listen to us talk about the same stuff for for such an incredible amount of time but that that's what makes all you all of you guys awesome out there thank you as always for listening hope you have a wonderful rest of your week 